Um, I was already quite excited this morning uh, when I came to church, just because we're starting um, a little bit of a new mini-series. We've, we've been uh, studying the book of Acts for months. We've been working through, through that, probably ha- half a year or more, that we've uh, been studying the book of Acts. And I just felt it would be good to take a little bit of a break from that and to just change our focus slightly. And uh, so this morning is the start of a, a new, uh, new beginning in lots of ways. And then to be able to sit on the floor with young Bevan was just, like, that was awesome. So good. And so God is good and uh, just really exciting. And actually, it, it's been an exciting week for many people this week. It's kind of funny that this week, as we begin a new series, looking at uh, what I've called the big picture and looking at some of just the, the, the key elements of our faith that we can be encouraged to, to think Christianly, to have a worldview that is Christian in the midst of a, a society that would press other worldviews into our, into our spheres. I hope that this will just give us some equipment maybe some refreshing or maybe something new that will just help us to be people that, uh, that are able to think Christianly, are able to engage with workplace and family and friends and community in Christian ways. It's been an exciting week for, for some because this week, on, on, on Thursday night... Anyone know what happened Thursday night that was kind of cool? Yeah, me and Judy and Paul and Adrian met to discuss the quiz and it was really cool, wasn't it? Excellent. So, so, so the flowers and the males met to discuss the quiz. That's very cool. Excellent. Maybe the, maybe the ideas that were sparking there caused the aurora borealis. Maybe. And the northern lights shone, not just across kind of Greenland and Alaska and all that kind of stuff, they even got to Essex. Whoa! I don't think that... <laughs> I don't think that's... Oh, I've never heard of it coming that far south before. And loads of people in Wales and all, all sorts of places. Anyone been... Jersey, they got it. Why didn't we get it? Oh. Gloucester got it. Norfolk got it, but we didn't get it. But anyway, an amazing kind of natural phenomenon that's kind of like, I've I've heard it described as one almighty lava lamp kind of going across the sky. I'd love to see it sometime. But it's an amazing thing. As we talk this week, the first in our series, looking at the big picture, looking at creation. That must have been awesome for anyone that saw that. I love the story that I read this week of one American president. I don't know which president it was, but he was in the habit every night that he was at the White House. And this was whether he had uh, kind of important heads of state or whether he was on his own. He would, he would have the habit, before going off to bed at night, with whatever company he had, to take a walk out onto the White House lawn and to stop and to look up. President of France next year. Stop and look up. Nelson Mandela, maybe. Seeing the stars and the expanse of the sky. And then he'd just turn to whoever he was with and say, Well, 
That makes me feel small enough again now. Let's go to bed. Just to get a perspective. One of the most powerful people in the world looks up into the sky, sees all that's around him, and realises that he is part of something much bigger. We can get so caught up in our own lives, can't we? Understandably. There's a lot of stuff that kind of piles in on us. And we can get so kind of caught up in that that we can feel that everything revolves around us and our situations. And I just want us to, to stop like the president did over the next ten weeks or so and look up and look around and just get a sense of a God's eye view of the world. This week we're going to look at creation. Next week we're going to look at the fall. The week after that we're going to look at how God is at work in this world. He hasn't made it and then just walked away. We're going to look at the incarnation, God made flesh. I've asked some guy called Jim Graham to come and speak on that at the end of the month. So Dad is going to come and do that. So that will be, be great. You'll, you'll, you'll get a good one there. One out of ten ain't bad. Anyway, atonement, resurrection, ascension, the Trinity, the church, the final victory of God. Some of the things that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, just to give us a sense of who we are as God's people. But let's start today with creation. Now, I've, I've, I've put out, I think Arnold and George handed out some, some little sheets. You might want to use these, you might not want to use these. Um, and there's a couple more. Did, did, did everybody get one of these? If there's a couple kicking around that people don't want to use, if there's anyone that would prefer just to listen and not, then I'd love to be able to pass them around because I didn't print enough. How little faith did I have this morning? That's poor, isn't it? But if there's anyone would... Does anyone need one? Anyone need one? Oh, there we go. Just behind you. Thanks, Debs. Is there anyone else need one? There's a spare there. Is that all right? You got one? There you go. Wonderful. You might want to write on it. You might just find it helpful to keep going. You might just be ticking them off like an agenda saying, yeah, okay, he's through that one, he's through that one. I hope not. I hope this is exciting. I hope that this will really give us something to go away with today and think, wow, this is good. I wanted us to look at creation. And I wanted us to kind of start from a place of thinking, well, there are kind of broadly two views of creation. There's either one view, which is kind of a, an impersonal, haphazard, colliding of, of impersonal forces that kind of meshed with time and with chance, making something that's temporary, something that's arbitrary, something that is kind of devoid of reason. <coughs> That's one view, an impersonal, kind of coincidental, arbitrary view. Or there's a view that is personal, that creation is a personal thing. It's the product of a person. That creation is the result of creativity, of purpose, of love, of delight. 
that has a permanence about it. I wonder which one I'm going to talk about. <laughs> going to be looking at what Scripture says, because Scripture is most unequivocal. I don't know if you noticed, as Paul read Genesis 1... I got really excited this week as I, as I looked and I started scribbling in my Bible. I started highlighting all the times that God is mentioned in chapter 1 of Genesis. 36 times in 31 verses, God is at the centre of creation. He is personal. He is at the heart of creation. And while there are debates and intellectual arguments that have rumbled on for centuries about some of the interpretation of of how God did it. Scripture is unequivocal about who did it. See, Scripture gives us kind of the big picture, the the meta-narrative, for want of a technical word, about the big story of our lives. And it starts with Genesis, which incidentally means beginnings. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1, verse 1. First few words. In the beginning, God. See, our culture would question that there is any such thing as a, as a grand story, a big picture. Our culture would often say, well, yes, that's fine. If you want to believe that, that's fine for you. But don't impose that on me. Your truth is not my truth. There's truth for each one of us. And very quickly you get very confused. Because what is truth? It becomes diluted to whatever somebody else wants it to be. But the Bible gives a bedrock. The Bible gives us a story of a personal God. I don't want to get bogged down in the how today. The kind of old earth versus young earth, if you like. The the, the discussion about how we interpret what, what God did. There are so many views, I have to be honest, that that we could just be here for hours and days and weeks and months and it just clouds the issue in many ways. Because for years and years and years, there have been very, very articulate people on on all sides of the, the interpretive argument. Very persuasive. But I really want us to concentrate today on the who. Because the who is awesome and he is at the centre of creation. So there'll be no surprises from that little sheet that there are ten things I want to say about creation today. And I think they get shorter as they go through. So you'll be thinking, Phew! But there are ten things that I wanted to say about creation. The first one, we've already kind of started to this, but there is a person behind creation. Starts with Genesis 1. And is repeated time after time after time. Here is an introduction to God's world with God at the centre. 
His name before we even get going. In the beginning, God. And you know, because God is a person, we can relate to this because we are personal beings. I don't know how many of you kind of find it hard these days. And I'm, 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 I'm a young man. But, <laughs> but when I turned 18, I had a bank manager that I could go and see. And I could go and ask him for an overdraft when I went off to university. And he'd kind of pull faces at me and then say, well, yes, young man, okay. But there was somebody that I knew at my local branch of Barclays Bank. I had the same doctor the whole time I was growing up. There was a sense of personal encounter that has gradually kind of become less so. I was recounting to a couple of people yesterday my most recent encounter with a call centre and trying to engage in an insurance deal and how my blood pressure went up and up and up as I had to speak to about four different people and I was on my mobile and I got cut off just as I was nearly there. But we kind of live in an impersonal world. And maybe I just need to take a chill pill. But I kind of find that hard sometimes. That some of these things are so impersonal. Because we are personal beings. Loneliness, I think, is growing in our society. It's something that is an issue. We seem to crave community. The the cafe is such a wonderful blessing because it enables a little bit of community but we have so little time but you know we are personal beings because there is a person behind creation and there is a possibility of relationship with that person and that is wonderful Just think for a minute. Some of you may have been given a picture by by a child that you don't know. Somebody just comes up to you for whatever reason, gives you a picture. Or or you just just see a picture that's done by a child and you kind of, oh, isn't that cute? And that's it. You kind of leave it at that, don't you? But when you are given a picture by a child that you know, who has painted that picture with you in mind, you suddenly think, oh, wow, that's beautiful. What is it? How, how did you do that? <coughs> Why? <laughs> but, but you just feel so different about something that is done with you in mind. God created with you. In mind. And I guess as we see that there's a person behind creation, we need to learn to see that that person is in all parts of our life. 
John chapter 1, verse 3. What a fantastic start to John's gospel. Kind of picks off, picks up as, as, as Genesis started off. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then this, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. God created all things. And as we recognise him and see him, It gives us a context for all that we do. It's not just about coming to church on a Sunday, doing religious things. But actually it gives us a context. We can look at a window. It's a good example, isn't it? It's nice and steamed up. But we can look at a window, and actually today, we can look at a window and we can admire the steam on it and see the steam or the smears or the fingerprints or what have you. And that's fine. But a window actually was there to look through. And it's the same with God and with creation. You see, it's fine to look at creation. It's fine to marvel at creation. In fact, it's important sometimes to marvel at creation. But we need to look through creation to the person who created and constantly recall that there is a person behind creation. There's also a purpose behind creation. It's not haphazard. It's not coincidental. It's not just by chance. And perhaps even more worryingly, there's a view that that says, well, actually, it's there for me to impose my purpose on it. It was for me to do with as I want for me to consume. Both of those views completely ignore the person behind creation. And actually both of those views leave us thinking, well, what's my purpose and my place in that? But when we recognise that there is a person behind creation, we can see that There is a purpose, and that we can have a purpose. Here's just a couple of purposes of creation. See, the first one is that actually creation is there to praise its maker and to reflect his glory. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God." That's why I showed that video. The heavens declare the glory of God. They can't literally speak, but we can give voice to all that we see. And we can give glory to God, the maker of heaven and earth. This is a little bit like when, when I led us in, in prayer this morning. I stood here and I prayed. And other people, when they lead in prayer, 
something that we do where one person gives voice to many gathered together and all are saying, yeah, I agree with that. Amen. So we can give voice to all that God has done and we can declare the glory of God. And that is one of our purposes, that we would worship and praise God, our maker. But you know, there's another thing. Colossians 1, chapter six, uh, verse 16, says that all things were created by him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus. See, we are here for Jesus. We only find that we are fully ourselves when we come to relationship in Jesus and walk with him for whom and by whom all was made. So there is a purpose behind creation that we would live to worship the creator and that we would walk and know the creator and that we would continually see that we have a very special place. Which brings us on to the third thing. There is a value to creation. First of all, all creation is valued. If you look in Genesis 1, time and again, God saw that it was good. God valued creation as he made it. Jesus speaks in Matthew's Gospel of how the Father views the birds of the air, how he looks after them, feeds and clothes them, because he values them. And then he goes on to say the second thing, if all creation is valued, then we, human beings, we are valued. We are valued by God. Jesus goes on to say, how much more then will he look after you? So often we treat our world as if it was kind of impersonal, as though it was without value. So often we treat other people as if they had no value. But actually seeing how much God values you. Please God, would that give us a new perspective on other people. And actually as we see there's a value to creation, it gives us the basis for, for a kind of an ethical framework. As we see that God has a value for creation, we can relate rightly or wrongly to that creation. And it feels, doesn't it, like, like human values are just constantly changing more and more rapidly. You kind of don't know where you stand half the time, what people think. But still, intrinsically within us, there are still some things, not as many as perhaps there were, but there are still some things that we think, that is just wrong. 
Now, my children might think that wearing socks with sandals and shorts is just wrong, but I'm talking about slightly more serious matters than that. That there are some things that are just wrong. But actually, as we lose a God's eye view of the world, those values are slowly eroded. Or to put it perhaps more positively, as we recognise God's value in the world, we can value what he values. So there is value to creation. Fourth thing, creation is distinct from God. And this is really important in our society. You see, when he created, he stood back. And he saw that it was good. He created. Think about it for a second. An artist. Probably most of us could look at a Picasso painting and say, yeah, I, that, mm, yeah, I know who that is. You might, you might not be able to name it, but you'd recognise the style. That's a Picasso. That's a Monet. Artists bring something of themselves to their art, don't they? Something of their character, something of who they are. And in the same way, God has his fingerprint on his creation. We can recognise him as the artist, but he is God. Creation is not God. But many people would assert that today, that God is in everything. God is in the trees and God is in the earth and God is in in the sun and God is here. Did you notice in Genesis chapter 1, when when we read that, that verse, verse 16... God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. Even back then, there was a pantheistic view, a view that there were gods in everything. And people worshipped the sun and worshipped the moon. And the writer wanted to say, "Uh uh-uh, let's not mention them as sun and moon. Let's talk about the great light and the lesser light because they're God's creation. They are not God." That is a really prevalent kind of spirituality in in our society, that that actually God is in everything. But if you think about it, if creation were God, that would mean that God was marred, and God was broken, and God was full of sin. But he ain't. God is pure and holy. He created us. He created this world and he stood back and he saw that it was good, but he didn't leave it alone. We'll come to that in a few weeks' time. But it's really important because actually when God maintains his purity and his holiness, it gives us hope. Because there's somewhere we can go. Someone to whom we can go that can drag us out of the miry pit 
of all the stuff that we get ourselves involved in. Of all the stuff we watch on the news and we think, oh, how does that happen time and again? But we can come to God and say, God, please help. You are pure. You are holy. You are worthy and you know. We have a place we can go and there is hope. And that is good news. Fifthly, creation is dependent on God. He's not created. He he existed. And he created. But through him and by him all things were created. And if we can depend on him, then we can find our purpose and our meaning and our hope. There's a current of thinking that says that we find meaning from within, that we don't need God, that somehow if we search within ourselves hard enough, we'll find our meaning and our purpose. But actually, we, his creation, depend on him for our meaning and our purpose. And when we turn away from that, we sin. That's what sin is, turning away from God and saying, I I can do this myself. I've got a really cool way of just sorting out how I, I need to live my life. And actually, it might be really nice. You might be a really nice person, but you still turn away from God, the one who made you. And that's sin. But it's such good news that we belong to someone bigger than ourselves. Someone who made us and values us. Sure, there are times we do have to look within and examine our conscience and say, yeah, okay, that was not good. I need to repent of that. I need to turn away from that. I need to go and sort that out. But that's not the same. Looking inwardly to to examine ourselves is not about looking for meaning. It's about bringing ourselves before God. Last few things. I've got just a couple of things to say on each. Creation is open to God. What do I mean by creation is open to God? There is nowhere that is closed to God. How cool is that? There is nowhere that is closed to God. Psalm 139 says, where can I go to flee from your presence? If I went to the furthest in the east, I couldn't escape you. If I went to the west, I couldn't escape you. If I went to the depths of the sea, I couldn't escape you. There is nowhere that is closed to God. Corrie ten Boom was a lady who survived the horror of Auschwitz. She worked through the challenge of of working out forgiveness for those who took family and friends. But she wrote beautifully of how even in the unimaginable, unimaginable depravity of a concentration camp, 
God was there. That was not closed to God. Creation is open, wide open to God. Seventh thing, creation is multidimensional. Right from the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now maybe there it's talking about sky and land, but throughout scripture we see that there is more than just what we can touch and feel and see and smell. John 14, beautiful, beautiful passage of reassurance where Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to die, but I'm going to a place to prepare for you. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not tell you. There is more to creation than what we see, touch, feel, think and smell. And I think deep within each of us there is a yearning for otherness, something beyond ourselves. And we work that out in all sorts of different ways and that can lead us down all sorts of dead ends. But if we look to God and we see that he has created a world that is far bigger than we can ever think of, that's a real encouragement. Here's a real important one. Number eight, creation is good. Duh, Andy, of course it is. <laughs> I hear you say. But actually, sometimes I think we struggle with that. See, many worldviews would suggest that our, our ultimate aim is to escape from this mortal call, to escape from the trouble of our lives. But actually, God said that it was good. Creation is not a bad thing. It's a good thing that's gone wrong. It's a good thing that we've messed up. People are not bad. They're a good creation gone wrong. And I want to just pause on this for a moment. If creation is good, then you are not a mistake. If creation is good, you are not a mistake. Maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. Yes, we need help. Yes, we need Jesus to save us. But he won't save us and take away Uh, take us away from this world. He'll save us so that when he comes again, we will be part of a new heavens and a new earth that is good and will one day be no longer marred. And so actually our physicality is good. Sure, there's one or two things we could do to maybe improve it, but... Our physicality is good. What we do, what we see, what we are, there is so much that is good. Two more things, real quick. Creation belongs to God. The earth is the Lord and everything in it, Psalm 24 says. In our society, our ownership of stuff can so skew our perception. But actually, everything belongs to God. The Jewish notion of jubilee, of returning stuff to where it first came from after 70 years, 
is a beautiful notion, actually. It completely blows our mind. Because we, we kind of invest our entire lives, don't we? In, in buying a house or buying a car or doing this or doing that, having this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it can skew our view that actually, even if we do own a house, it's God's. It belongs to God. Even if we own a car, it belongs to God. Even if we own whatever, it belongs to God and we are stewards of what he has given us. And actually that can transform how we view so much. Really conscious of time. Last thing, creation requires a response. I've alluded to it already, but first response is just wonder. Is worship, is, oh, God, you are amazing. Wow. Even in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, think about Job, how he lost his family and everything he owned, but God went and spoke to him and said, who is it that made this and that and the next. It was me, Job. I am still your God. And Job was able to hold on to that in wonder and awe. God wants us to respond with enjoyment. 1 Timothy 4.4 talks about enjoying everything with thanksgiving. So we acknowledge God's place and we put aside things that are contrary to what God would have us do. But actually, God wants us to enjoy food and football. He wants us to enjoy Land Rovers and lace making. He wants us to enjoy rugby and writing. Walking and woodwork, whatever it is, God wants us to enjoy those things and give him thanks. Our physicality is good. A couple more responses. He requires our attention. When Jesus said, stop and look at the lilies of the fields, it wasn't kind of a twee thing, but it was a kind of a thing that says... As you see that, as you dwell on that, you see that God is faithful. I heard somebody say yesterday, it was Paul, said, ah, there's a bee, first sign of spring. There is hope in our noticing the good things that God gives us. And it's important that we respond to that. And of course, creation, we need to respond by caring for it. Next chapter of Genesis tells us that we need to be carers of his creation. And that's really important. Well, there's a lot here. We started a little bit late this morning, so that's my excuse. But will we today a fresh look to the creator? Will we recognise that the world does not centre on me and my interests alone, but actually it centres on God? 
we need to have what is poshly called a theocentric view of the world, a God-centred view, where we recognise that what is around us is not haphazard. Will we let God into all areas? Will we strive today for a God's eye view of the world?